I've come to describe my brain as being OCD with words. Open the door, close the door, open the door, close the door, open the door, close the door, until I find the right pattern that clicks and I can let it go. This is Taylor Stevens, New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, last week we were kicking ourselves all over everywhere. You were in New York. <laughs> I was in Key West. You probably have more interesting tales to tell than I do, so let's start with you. How was—well, let me—for for listeners out there— uh, this this week's show is going to be primarily about thriller thriller fest, and one listener question that we had from our show on the stupid writing rules uh, a few weeks ago. We had one one person who had some questions about the use of italics, so we're going to get to that. But we're going to start off with thriller fest and maybe talk about blue hair and who knows what else <laughs> we're going to talk about. How was thriller fest? It was good. I wasn't really technically officially there. I went to, I had to go to New York anyway to meet with um, publishing professionals. And it was a very sort of unexpected spur of the moment thing. I hadn't actually planned to attend Thriller Fest and I hadn't registered or anything. I didn't even know if it'd be possible to get hotel room because the hotels fill up so fast during these conferences. But since I had to go anyway, I was like, well, maybe I can time it to go at the same time that that's going on and be there for part of it so that at least I can catch people that I know in the bar and just kind of, you know, keep some connections alive. So I really didn't attend Thriller Fest. I was just there in the evenings hanging out with friends and people. And the best part was uh, Hillary Huber, who is the voice of Monroe in audiobooks her and the executive producer who worked on all the books um Aaron Blank who are both big fans and they're also friends they were able to come hang out with me and Hillary Huber's the one who worked it all out and so I've met her for the first time and she's always been lovely in the digital realm <laughs> but in real life oh i have such a girl crush now she's so amazing <laughs> she's so sweet and so much fun and just it was awesome it was so awesome such a great evening and so the guy that was there that was her executive producer he's done all your books um you know i'm not entirely sure how the the whole thing works in the hierarchy of who does what mm -hmm. but yes Aaron I believe has been responsible for all of my books and he works with Random House Audio and when they send he sends them out there's been another producer who I guess is like Hillary that gets freelanced or um, contracted on uh -huh. who uh, sort of manages it and makes sure all the um, like does the is it phonemics to make sure the accents and the words and all of that are um are proper like, and does a double read okay he's caught a few errors so there's there's more than one person who does stuff and i'm not real clear in my head of where it all works but i know that aaron works directly for random house audio okay and, all right um and I, I guess he was maybe the one who hired hillary originally i don't know but i just know they're both 
incredibly awesome people. I remember you telling the story, I don't know, one of the times we talked, that you were not involved in the hiring of Hillary at all. You, you, were, not, you were not asked, would this person be right? It was just like, here's your audio book. Do I have that right? They they asked me and they said, we were thinking of using Hillary Huber as the voice for your audio book. Do you have somebody else that you prefer? And I was like, "Uh, I don't know anything, you know, sure. She's great. And that's pretty much the extent of it. I, you know, I went to her website and listened to a few of her, um, her voice on a few different like commercials or, you know, little audio clips that she'd done that she had linked at the time and I, I did. I'd never listened to an audio book. I still haven't. So what do I know? You know, I just trust trust the people who are professionals, and they they say she's a good voice for. Her. I'm like, great. And um, and she has a lot of fans uh, herself. Aside, like the fans who will follow what she does, regardless of who's written it, because they really love her voice. I find that fascinating because narrators are are. They work across such a broad spectrum of genres, and I've I've spoken to people who say that, that uh, I just have people that will listen to whatever I do, but there there would be such a difference between your book and um, a soft-hearted romance that that maybe Hillary did back-to-back, and and they would be published a week apart. That would be an interesting question, and I didn't even think about it of asking her if she's choosy about what she picks on and tries to stick within a genre. Like, does she have her own, I I guess, genre that she, that her, her listeners follow her into for that reason. I'm really curious to know how that works or if she just takes whatever jobs are offered to her because that's how she makes her living. I think, um, and I don't know about her. I'm actually, I'm just looking at her um, audible page right now. And it looks like it's kind of across the board. I see some historical fiction, some science fiction. Um, it looks like a cozy mystery. So it, it looks like she goes across the board. There, there, typically, people will have things that they won't do for whatever reason. Right. And that might be erotica or it might be vampires or it might be science fiction it might just be something where they just don't want to have all these made-up words and they they just want to be able to use use language and and do this so i i think everybody has things that they really they like to do but it looks like she does uh, a little bit of everything i i see nonfiction, a little bit of everything and she does commercials and movie trailers and all kinds of cool stuff. She, yeah, you're right. She is just, just a cool person. I was voice. so excited when I saw the picture of the three of you that were, that was posted on in your, in your uh, Facebook group. I think she it posted it, didn't she? Yeah. She came and posted it in the Facebook group. And um, now I've got to go email her and beg copies of that picture so I can post it more widely. <laughs> Well, I'm going to steal a copy and put it in the show notes. So if you're not in the Taylor Stevens fan club Facebook group, and really you should be, uh, but if you're not, it'll be in the show notes. What else happened in New York? I saw a picture of you in Times Square, it looked like, with uh, fabulous blue hair and a great (laughs) looking outfit. You just, you look like, no, no, it was this, It it was like a fashion spread. Yeah, Steve. You're very kind. He's lying. <laughs> um, I, the hotel, the Times Square is very close 
to the hotel. And so um, we were on our way back from somewhere that it made sense to go that direction just to swing by. And the light was really good. And I had been talking um, before about, you know, this hair color crap that I've done. And I, I'd mentioned that it's so much more vibrant in uh, in the sun than it is, you know, if you're just looking because I post videos to Patreon. And um, so I had a picture that actually showed how blue my hair is. I mean, just like vibrant blue. And so I I got that and posted it on Patreon so people could see what it was that I was talking about. <laughs> and it. It, to me, it looked like it was staged in that the background had a lot of that a similar color of blue no, in there, and it was just like it was so artistically done. No, it was totally coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> it was just there, and I was sitting down. Okay, take a picture. Well, was there any buzz that was going on around Thriller Fest, the people that you were talking to? Was was there any theme or anything that, that you latched on to? Well, you know, like I said, I wasn't really at Thriller Fest. I yeah, was, but uh, you were hanging out in the bar. And... Yeah, but people, the authors tend to just want to not, I mean, they do sometimes talk business, but it's it's specific to them. It's not like, oh, my God, I'm so excited because this is the new big thing that's coming out. It's like good for you if that's the new big thing coming out. Okay, now let's go back to being us, right? So, um <laughs> But one thing I was really happy about is that I've attended in the past. It's always been Barnes and Noble that has stocked the um, the book room. Mm -hmm. And this year, maybe it was this way last year too, I don't know. But this year they had Mystery Mike doing it. So it was really nice to see that there was an independent bookseller that handled the book sales for all the authors this year. And I don't know. It was just nice. Plus, I'm partial to them because they've mystery mike and deadly pleasures they've all been so supportive for my work so it was just nice to see them there it's the first time i've ever seen them at thriller fest it's always been voucher where i connect with them while i was in key west uh my wife julie looked up bookstores because the bookstore that had been there i don't know 30 years ago was gone and i didn't know where the bookstores were in key west now and so Julie looked him up and kind of led me as we were walking to this fabulous independent bookstore. It was very small. And I walked in and turned to the right thinking, okay, this is where they're going to have the books about Key West adventures, Key West mysteries, that kind of thing, which I just absolutely love. And there they were, just this wall of things with authors that I've been reading for years so they and really were, they had a lot of Key West stuff? They had a lot of things in there and a lot of authors that write about Key West. I mean, there are some authors that that's all they write about or primarily that that's all their, their books take place in Key West. And she had a big focus on them in, in addition to lots of other things. But even indie authors that wrote about Key West, she had their books in there as well. The woman who owned the store is... Suzanne Orchard, and the bookstore is called Key West Island Books. And I just had so much fun chatting with her. I didn't realize she was the owner at first. I, she just came over and was offered to help. And I said, oh, I see you have this, and I see you have this, and I see you have this. And I see, you know, you've got the series that goes all the way back to the beginning. And wow. she knew everything about all these books. 
And so we just started talking and somebody else came in and took her attention away. And I said, are you, do you own the store? And she says, yes. And so we started talking some more. I mean, this was really, it was one of the highlights of the trip for me was just meeting her and talking this really specific subgenre of fiction. That's so awesome and fun. Yes. And she started talking about, because I love this stuff, I've interviewed a lot of these people. And so we, we, we know some of the same people, and she talked about uh, Lawrence Shames has been writing Key West fiction forever, and he was, he's one of those guys who he was traditionally published, and he went along. He, I think he probably wrote seven or eight of these Key West adventure books, and then they just stopped, and that was at a time when you didn't really understand what was going on when someone just stopped publishing. And he didn't write one for 10 to 15 years, and I thought he'd just stopped writing and maybe died. Um, and then all of a sudden there was another one. And I, I, there was another one, but he self-published it. Oh. And he thought, when I talked to him, he thought it was a flyer. He, he thought, no one's going to remember me, no one's going to buy the book. And he, was, he couldn't have been more wrong. The book was really popular. People were thrilled to have him back. And... It turned out that what he had been doing had been writing screenplays, and he worked as a ghostwriter, um, um, writing some really well-known books. And he actually wrote – he and he published a book about ghostwriting a book for this really famous guy in New York that had based written a lot of books. Life. Not really. Uh, yeah. My lawyers won't who, let me who say knows? that it's based on real life. But, but it was a really interesting <laughs> book. I will say that. Right. But he, I mean, he's, a, he's just a funny writer. His books are lighthearted and funny. And so we started talking about him, and she called him. Uh, he, oh, he, my God. He lives in Naples, and Naples and, uh, I don't know, somewhere in North Carolina most of the time. But he still visits Key West. And she called him and said, would you come and do a signing? And he's like, no, nobody here remembers me. Nobody reads these books anymore. It's just, you know, that would, I would just be wasting your time, and we'd be embarrassing ourselves. And so she badgered him and talked him into it. And she said it was like a party. That just like, like the whole block was full of people that remembered him from when oh he lived God. there 15 I years didn't... ago. And his, the people that mowed his lawn and the people that, you know, trimmed his shrubbery and that kind of thing. They were all just showing up. And it was just such a great story. That's our happy story for today. That is fantastic. Yeah. And, and there, there's um, another – Lucy Burdett writes a series of Key West books, the – Key West Food Critic Mysteries, I think, are, are the name of them. And I've, I've spoken to her a few times. And her books were right up front. And she said that when she does a signing there, she brings in people because every not everyone, but the, the majority of her recurring characters are based on real people in Key West. They have different names, and they're not exactly the same, but she has a tarot card reader in the books. And so she brought the real-life tarot card reader that that guy was based on to the signing. And he was in the back doing tarot card readings. She's signing in the front, and it was just this party. And it was just think, so cool. I think you're making a bunch of people want to go to Key West. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it it's just like so much fun. What was really cool about it, and I just got this sense because we don't have an indie bookstore in, in Naples. We have one Barnes & Noble, and that's it. So I, I very rarely get to see really 
fun indie bookstores. And it sounds like you're familiar with some people in New York that have those. But it was just so exciting to, to see something like that and to hear what she's doing to make her business or to allow her business to thrive in an age where everyone really wants to just buy things from Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we need that here in Dallas. I don't think we have any more really like big ind- indie stores have just gone away. There's not much left. I think there is a resurgence now. I was listening to a podcast that talked about that. I'll put a link in the show notes um, to that podcast. It's a brand new podcast. Uh, it's almost like a PBS type 20 minute thing. And it, it, the topic of the most current one was indie bookstores and what they're doing to compete against Amazon. It was fascinating. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, let's get to our listener question from a couple of weeks ago, the uh, stupid writing rules that we talked about. I think there were 10 of them. And one of them had to do with direct thoughts being put into italics. Yes. And this person made a a, a well-reasoned argument for doing that. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and read his comment, which was left on the website. Okay. He says, I wish to make a defense in use of italics that were discouraged in this podcast. Below is an example of how I've used italics. And then this is the the part that he shares. The shopping bag slipped from Alice's fingers. Her brother Joey lay sprawled on the sofa, uttering pig-like snorts asleep on the couch. Popcorn littered the carpet, beer cans crushed and strewn over her new coffee table. And then come the italics. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. So that's the little snippet. And now we're back to the question. The narrative is written in third-person past tense. The thought is written in first-person present tense. The convention is to italicize. You could either go against convention and not italicize, or you could rephrase it in order to maintain the narrative format. Perhaps there is a third and better method that I'm not seeing. So the question to Steve as a reader is what aspect of this is jarring? Is it just the italics or the narrative switch? And for Taylor, what would you change to avoid italics in this instance? From my perspective, direct thoughts such as this are more immediate and impactful and tend to bring forth a more immersive and intimate experience for the reader. I'll keep, it, I'll keep myself open for alternatives, though. Okay, and let me answer first. Because during the show, I mentioned reading this series of books where the use of italic, italics was so overdone, and I said, I think I actually used the word, that I found it jarring. And what made it so jarring for me was, was that it was just used over and over and over and over again. And typically, at the end of some internal monologue, there'd be this. And it was just like, why is he doing that? And I found it annoying and jarring, and it took me out of the story. In, in this particular listener's example, I can't tell whether that's the kind of thing that's that they're going to be three to a page, or you know, you might there might be one of these in a chapter. If if that were the case, I would feel differently about it. In the specific example of this series of books I was reading, it, it was, in my opinion, it was just way overdone, and it just kept taking me out of the story. And I kept trying to figure out why is he doing this? Why is the author doing this? Okay, I've I've gone over this. It's it's two paragraphs that he sent. It's the the narration and then the inner thought. And I've I've thought about it a lot. 
um, trying to understand because for me, this is not something that I would do. And I'm trying to understand why uh, beyond just the instinct of it. But I have to preface it and say that the way that this is written is probably better than 80% of what you'll find. So it's really not like there's anything wrong with it. It is a style, it's a voice, but I was asked my opinion. So that's all that this is. And just because I do something a certain way doesn't mean it's the way. It's just, I'm a, I've, I've come to describe my brain as being OCD with words. Open the door, close the door, open the door, close the door, open the door, close the door, until I find the right pattern that clicks and I can let it go. And this pattern here is, I'm going to sit there and open and close the door for a long time to make it work. And so I was sitting, trying to figure out why. And my issue with the italics here is the change of narrative format. And I don't feel that it creates a more immersive or intimate experience. I feel that it causes me as a reader to have to switch, which does exactly the opposite of being immersive. It, it creates grit. And the reason why is because it, I'll kill him, I'll kill him, even though it's italicized, is because it's, it's spoken as dialogue, inner, inner dialogue, but as direct thought, it becomes in, in, in the narrative format, it becomes actual dialogue, actual speech. And here it therefore is a disembodied voice. And so it, it's, it's a jump. It's a, it's a, there's a flow issue where it jumps from the narrative of what we're seeing right into thought without any segue one to the other. And the italics are there to let us know that we're inside somebody's head but it doesn't flow us into that seamlessly. So he asked, what would I do differently? And for that, I can say, besides open and close the door a hundred times before I got it right, um, just off the top of my head, I would not have the, I would not change, I would maintain the narrative format so that instead of switching from uh, past tense, third person past tense, and going into first person present tense, I would maintain third person past tense, but it would be very intimately connected. There would be no she thought, there would be no, um, no feeling words. And so the first thing I would do would be, I would have the, what we're seeing, the description, I would put that first. You know, she walked into the room. We don't have that because he just sent us these two little paragraph, these two little sentences. But, you know, she walked into the room. Her brother, Joey, lay sprawled on the sofa, um, uttering pig-like like snorts. I delete asleep on the couch because we already said that he, he was sprawled on the sofa and he's uttering pig-like snorts. So sleep on the couch becomes redundant. And popcorn littered the carpet. Beer cans were crushed and strewn over her new top coffee table. And that's where I would put the shopping bag slipped from her fingers. And then I would create action because it goes action before thought. She walked in his direction. 
she was going to kill him. And so even if, or she'd kill him for this. So even if the she'd kill him for this or she was going to kill him or whatever was not literal, if it was um, hyperbole, hyperbole, the reader will catch on to that. And, and again, because I don't know these characters, I don't know this setting, I don't know anything, she very well may be a murderer and very well may be trying to kill him. I, I don't know that. So, But whatever the tone of, of the story is, when she's when her inner thoughts say she's going to kill him or she's going to kill him for this, any of that, it would be in the same tone the reader would work right with it. So what that does is it keeps us very intimate into her thoughts without having to switch the narrative format. I have to agree with with everything that you've said, Taylor. I you know we all have different styles of writing, and we all have different things that we like when we're reading. I, I like the way that you would have done this. Um, I, I don't necessarily dislike the way this is. It would just depend on how often the italics uh, showed up for me. Um, but I, I thank Robert so much for uh, for leaving the comment because it is. I mean, it, it's, it is a great topic because I see this a lot. I, I see it every so I see it poorly used not that often. Um, like the example that that I gave, where it's just over and over and over again. I that's really I I don't think very well done, but occasionally you'll just see it once a chapter, a couple times a chapter, something like that, and it it is fairly common. It's just it it's not for me. Yeah, and I like I said the way that Robert did it was not wrong, but. I, I gather from what he said about wanting to create an immediate and impactful immersive experience, that's, that's his goal. And so it, it could be that some readers read the way that he wrote and it does immerse them and it does create that experience that he's going for. It doesn't for me or for the OCD in my brain. And so that's why I, I think that it, in my opinion, trying to maintain narrative format is going to be less gritty. And in the alternative way of doing it and maintaining that immersive experience is skip the italics and skip the narrative format jump and just stay really close as if you're writing from that character's eyes, writing the character's thoughts in past tense. Okay, I think we have... That's it for this week, and we are really – we're up against the deadline this week because we were both out last week, so we're recording this. It is 6 o'clock on Monday night, East Coast time, and I will be releasing this at 3.17 a.m. Uh, oh East Coast God. time if, if uh, that's the way it works. I still need to produce this, so we're a little bit rushed this week. I apologize for that. Uh, we'll be back on a more normal schedule next week. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, Call to Action, the anthology we talked about last week that I'm a part of, Close to the Bones, has been released, and it is currently 99 cents. I don't know how long it's going to be 99 cents, but Monday at 6 o'clock Eastern time, it's still 99 cents. Then I think it's going to go up to 2.99 or 3.99. So, guys, 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 
if you really appreciate the fact <laughs> that Steve is going to get off now and go produce this thing to have it up and loaded, ready for you in the morning, please just go spend 99 cents and go download that book. Just Steve's got a fun story in there. It's It's definitely worth the read. And it introduces a new character that's going to be um, featured in work that he's doing now. I've read the roughs of what he's working on. They're fun stories. You're going to enjoy them. And so I think that this would be a good little teaser for you. And it might even introduce you to some other authors that are up your alley. Yes, thank you. And if you do, if you do read it, if you do read my story and you like it, Please leave a review at Amazon and just say, hey, I really like this uh, Reggie Carpenter story. Give Steve a cookie. He needs a cookie, guys. I don't need a cookie. I'll tell you, I, I gained so much weight. <laughs> Not that kind of cookie. <laughs> he, needs, he needs a back scratch ego boost cookie. Yes, that's what I need. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So that is our show this week. We will be back in your ears next Tuesday morning. Thanks for sticking with us.